Hello and welcome to Organising to Win, the trade union podcast from Unison Northwest. Last month we held our annual organising convention Skills for Strength in Manchester and at this year's event we were honoured to welcome a group of teaching assistants from Derbyshire who are currently involved in a dispute with their local council after attempts to cut their pay by 25%, which for some members is around £400 a month. Now, after addressing the plenary session of uh, the convention, they spoke to me about their campaign and the struggle that they face to protect themselves and their families from an employer that's determined to drive down their salaries. My name's Davina and I'm a high-level teaching assistant in a junior school from Derby. Okay, I'm Sue Bonser, I'm the school's convener for Derby City Unison, I'm also a teaching assistant in a nursery school. My name's Tracy King and I'm a teaching assistant for additional needs in an enhanced resource school. I'm Nicole Beresford and I'm the branch tech secretary. I'm not a teaching assistant, I don't work in a school, but my substantive post is with children with learning disabilities. My name's Becky Everett, I'm a teaching assistant in a mainstream school. My name's Julia Redfern, I'm a teaching assistant with special needs children. This dispute started with um, the council being forced um, to introduce an equal pay review to all their staff, which we knew would result in a loss of some money. However, they also took the opportunity then to change the terms and conditions at the same time which then resulted in um, the staff, the, the employees, losing 25% of their actual income So year. your actual income at work was decreased by 25% yes. uh, in a period of austerity, uh, cuts to uh, services and um, you know, increase in price of goods. Your wages were cut by 25%. Yes. Well, because other councils have done this and they've been doing it over the last 10 years, they have managed to only lose between 10 and 12%. And in some cases, more local to us, they haven't even lost that much because of the implementations that's been put in by their councils to their head teachers, advising them to cut their losses that they would not lose as much. Okay, and this uh, pay cut has affected a workforce that's mostly women, is that correct? 95% 95%, women, yes. So it's, it's, it's a gender issue as well, um, and a, a, quite a targeted attack it's, on women workers. It seems like that because it seems as though they've been the easiest ones to pick on because they would sit back and take it, and, and as they viewed us, that we were just mothers helping out in schools and it was probably seen by them as the easiest target and that there'd be less fuss made by targeting them. So how have you as teaching assistants responded? How did you respond to that pay cut? Well, with shock initially, and then anger, and then a determination that we weren't gonna sit back and just let it happen. So tell me what happened then? What, how did you rebuild this campaign? We refused to accept the terms and conditions. We refused to sign them. We refused to ignore it. And we were told in the September initially that this would happen January the 1st. 
and Gen as a result, it's January the 1st of 2016. Yeah, yeah. And as a result of us saying that no, we would not accept it and we wouldn't stand back and let it happen, it got put back then to the first of June. And they said it would definitely come into force then. So in effect, we gained another five months while we still sorted it out and we talked to them and then we came out and took strike, not strike action, uh, demonstrations outside the council at cabinet meetings. Mm. And we let them know that we would not accept it at all. Initially, um, sorting from like January last year, January 2016 was um, a turning point for, for us. Um, when we was in negotiation, it was very obvious at that from that point that the, the council were not going to concede on um, not to harmonise in terms and conditions in schools. So um, it, it was very um, evident that we would then have to start building a campaign. So the only way we can start building a campaign is to build your army. So the only way you're going to build your army is to get out there and talk to your members. So we went out there and we um, went. We identified the 71 schools that have been directly affected or would be directly affected and we went out there and, and went into the schools and spoke to the members and asked them what they felt about having a 25% pay cut, what it would mean for them, what they wanted to do about it. We identified stewards, we identified school contacts and um, we um, then continued to go in. We recruited um, and we listened to what our members wanted to say and we, we, gave, we sort of encouraged them to stand up and fight. Part of the fight meant that we would start organising demonstrations, um, petitions, um, lobbying, lobbying of Parliament, lobbying of um, the Labour Party conference. We've done a whole raft of things, but before we got to the point where our members were balloted for strike action and overwhelmingly um, indicated that they wanted to take industrial action. You've done an incredibly brave thing mm. by standing up to this council who, mm. uh, the plans are just savage really, in, mm. especially given the period that mm. we're in at the moment and uh, the rise in the cost of living and, and so on. How have you, have you found that, that process of, of standing up to them? Have you had a lot of support from the community and, uh, and, and uh, other sections? Oh, tell, tell us about that. Thank you. I think, um, We've had support from parents. We've got we've got a lot of support in the community. People get fed up because the children aren't at school now, and it's it's getting longer and longer. But generally, they're not overly keen with the Labour Council in Derby. Yeah. So why do you think um, the Labour Council have been so intransigent about this? Because, <laughs> right. Well, the Labour Council in Derby. Um, identified themselves as Margaret Thatcher so that so they are in power as Labour but the next day woke, woke up as Tories and they have likened our members to the miners and they took on that mindset that our members were going to be starved back to work no matter what and that they're women, so who cares anyway? And that is the attitude that they've taken throughout the whole of um, the the campaign that we've run so far. We have a leader of the council who who is a narcissist, 
who is, is about him and he's taken everything very personally instead of showing true leadership and the rest of the, the, the Labour councillors have just closed their eyes, pulled on their blinkers and carried on because they don't have, they, you know, they claim they don't have a decision in this but th they really do have a decision in this because they are the leaders and they can actually instruct chief officers to resolve this dispute and this dispute has become transient because because they really thought right from the offset that our members would just give in and go back to work and would accept a 25% pay cut. Well, nobody can sustain a 25% pay cut. There's been no transition period, there's been no pay protection. So you might be earning £20,000, say for example, on the 31st of May and then on the 1st of June you're only earning £15,000. Who's going to pay your mortgage then? Nobody. You've got to do that. So why shouldn't people stand up and fight? So, you know, the council just don't get it. You know, but I don't really understand why they don't get it, why they would think that would be acceptable. Now, we, they had a really bad audit report um, early on um, last, well, late last year. And the audit report was was really damning and it showed that they had um, falsely inflated and injected three and a half million pounds into falsely inflating um, refuse pay so that refuse workers wouldn't come out on strike if their bonuses were removed as part of the equal pay uh, review and they had their the, the value of that bonus subsumed into their pay and they gave more value to a group of men coming out on strike than what they have to a group of women. So, in essence, they were willing to um, alleviate and prevent strike action from a group of men who had bonuses removed, and by doing so, reducing 95% of women, their pay by 25% because they're not important. And they've just carried on with that mindset that these are just women they're not important. Well, actually, they're not just women. They're school support staff, and they, can, they keep the schools going. They're members of the community. They work and live in the communities that they represent, and therefore they've got more power than what they've got, and they've got more influence. They're not going anywhere, and they will stand there, and they'll stand there until the Labour group in Derby realise that these women are here to win it. It's not, no longer about money because they've spent 10 months with a loss. They no longer can pay the mortgage. They no longer can pay the rent. They can't feed the children. They can't repair the cars. So they've got nothing else to lose. But what they haven't lost is their dignity. What they haven't lost is um, their, them being proud. So you've mentioned there the kind of agenda and narrative mm. that we see often in these kind of disputes mm. where um, the, the people who are actually standing up for themselves mm. and their you know and their rights to a decent living and, and what they had in fact in this case before the dispute you're not asking for a pay rise no, so, no, no. you know here um are demonized and mm. that uh, you know cast as extremists mm. and uh, politically motivated mm. as teaching assistants as women as mothers i just wonder what what do you, would you say to people who have that view I was just going to say we had to do a radio interview a couple of weeks ago and we, yeah. we were being held to account about causing disruption. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, I felt like saying, well, the other news today is that water is wet because, you know, this is a dispute and, you know, there is bound to be disruption. 
Um, to a large extent, our members have um, ridden the tide of support from parents, but it really is hitting parents now and some of the most vulnerable families, unfortunately. But, you know, this is a dispute at the end of the day. Um, you know, we made the point that when tube drivers go on strike, um, from day one, there is disruption. Um, you know, we went through months and months of what I term now a sort of benign part of the the um, um, campaign when we were doing things like petitions and demonstrations and we weren't really affecting the daily lives of people in our communities. Mm -hmm. We've been forced into taking industrial action. It's certainly not something that we want to do and it's really, really tough after 67 days, you know, to keep people going, people feel isolated. We do all we can as a union to bring them together. Yes. You know, we do activities and campaigning activities every week. Yeah. Sure. Anybody else, like uh, in, in terms of your experience, and why is it so important that, that we support you as, as, as workers and as, as women in this struggle? Because we are women, we are mums. Um, it's not just about now coming out and being on strike. It's about fighting now for what is right for future generations, for my children's children. It's about making sure this never happens again to anybody. Yeah, and I know that you've got a, a, a huge amount of support from um, branches, not only across this region, but across the whole union and, and um, you know we're so grateful for you coming today and sharing the story with us which is an inspiration um, to, to branches who are working in this region no doubt about it what can we do to practically and what can branches do to practically support you at the moment well financial support would be brilliant yeah. um, to send delegations to our demonstrations, to whatever activity we're doing, to, to show Derby City Council that um, our people have got the support across the entire country, something that they haven't got, and even write to the leader mm, of the council yeah. expressing their disgust at the way they are treating workers, a disgust that a Labour council would think it was acceptable to treat workers like that, because this adds all pressure to go back to their own um, CLPs, their own um, Labour branches, and, and raise it there, and, and you know start putting further political pressure uh, upon Derby City Council so they know that not only have they got workers united across the whole of the country, but the Labour group is, is being united. So they're completely isolated in their own um, rationale and thinking about why they think it would be right to, to do this. Some of the Derbyshire teaching assistants involved in a recent dispute, they're talking to me about their campaign. And since we recorded that last month, uh, the dispute has been settled following a new revised offer from Derby City Council. Now, the Derbyshire teaching assistants are an inspiration, but unions haven't always been as keen to stand up for the interests of women workers. Sarah Boston is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and author of Women Workers in the Trade Unions, published through Lawrence and Wishart. She's been a trade union member uh, with ACTT and BEC2 since 1967, and shortly after International Women's Day in February, I spoke to her about her experience of trade unions in the early 70s, and how she, with a small group of women, challenged her own union's discriminatory practices. 
Well, I actually joined the union in 1967, but the problems for women um, really emerged in the early 70s in my union, which was the Association of Cinematograph, Television and Allied Technicians, which claimed to be based on equality, unlike a lot of unions then had separate sections, separate subscriptions, lower rates for women. Women were ghettoised into separate women's areas. My union claimed to be equal, based on equality, but in reality, there are whole areas where no women worked, um, technical areas like camera and sound and recording yeah. <laughs> and um, editing. And because it was a closed shop, you had to apply to those skill areas to get a, get a, um, a union ticket. And without a union ticket, you couldn't work. And the camera section, which was all male, and the sound section, which was all male, etc., they kept blocking women's applications. So how did women um, confront that and, and deal with it? Well, we got together, a small group of us, and we decided at the annual conference we had to take on our union. And we kind of, we were all a bit nervous at the time. So we moved a motion. We got some men to support us. Um, first of all, demanding that we had the union pay for a conference for women to decide what women wanted. So they did. Um, our union was pretty rich at that point. Um, so we had a conference with women and we drew up a list of what we wanted. And the top of that list was for the union to appoint, appoint employ a women's equality officer and to do um, analysis of where women worked in the industry and what they were paid. And a woman was appointed, Sarah Benton. She did a report called Patterns of Discrimination, which, with hindsight, was an absolute landmark report on exactly where women were, what they were paid, what their career opportunities were. And that gave us the ammunition to attack the union. And how, how have things developed since then? Do you think that um, there are still challenges for women in the trade union movement? I think uh, there's still are? huge challenges. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that you know, the membership of tra the trade union movement now is 55% women was when I joined, it was overwhelmingly male in every way. Unions were run by men, the executives were male-dominated, um, the TUC was almost entirely male-dominated. Unions sent delegations to the TUC conference, which often were entirely male. Um, I think it's improved a lot. We've got a few general secretaries of trade unions. We've got a general secretary of the TC, Frances O'Grady. I've got more women on executives, but women need to be in the power-making situations. And yeah. the trouble is, one of the problems is women are still in the workforce, the lowest paid, the most exploited, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, in the workforce. And for women to get up out from that is very difficult. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, because uh, obviously in, 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 in unions such as Unison, women make up the majority of the membership now, and uh, Unison's not alone in that regard. Um, what, what do you think the main, uh, I mean, you touched on it there, but what do you think the main challenges women still face in the workplace? And, and why is the trade union movement and the labour movement so important in addressing those? Well, the trade union movement is the kind of bastion of, of protection support, you know, in wages, condition, terms, wages and conditions, and they're fighting that in a climate where, as I say, the unions are legally manacled. They're demonised by most of the, the mainstream media. <laughs> and women, you know, they still say 80% of women home front work. So, you know, actually to find the time, yep. you know, I mean, they could get recruited and sign up and pay their subscription. But actually to become activists, you know, they're already carrying a huge burden of work at home and at work. 
So where would you like to see the trade union movement in, say, 10 years' time in regards to women? Um, given the progress that's happened so far and the challenges that we face now, what do you think is the next? Well, I would love to see women um, with better wages, better terms and conditions, treated with some respect, no longer just viewed as low-paid, low-value workers. I mean, they do some of the most crucial things in our society now. I mean, they care, the caring role. Um, for the elderly is crucial. Um, help with families, with young, particularly with young kids who've got disabilities and things. That sort of support work is really important. All of this is women, almost exclusively women, and almost exclusively low paid. Sarah Boston there, author of Women, Workers and Trade Unions, which is available through Lawrence and Wishart Publishing. Now that brings us to the end of uh, this month's episode, but as always you can access resources and further information about this programme alongside our contact details via our website at www.unisonnw.org forward slash podcast. For now though, thanks for listening and see you again next month.